Good evening, everybody. You are listening to State of the Revolution. Ruth Bader Ginsburg has died, and we have a special episode for you tonight. I am Ricky, uh, filling in for Benjamin, who is also here tonight, uh, but I am your host because I know a little bit more than he does about our subject, which is abortion. Um, Tonight, we have some special guests, um, new to the pod, but not new to listeners if you join us on the streams. Uh, My good friends Aria and Veronica are here tonight. Veronica is a legal nerd, um, and Aria is a seasoned abortion activist, and um, I'm here representing your average uh, Orthodox Marxist edgelord position, uh, as usual, and we are going to talk about the left, abortion, and the Supreme Court. So, um, yeah, so she died. She did it, right? We talked about this on the last episode a little bit, Um, and tonight I want to really start by thinking about the Supreme Court uh, as the center of this thing, right? So um, we're all kind of presented with this inevitability that Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned based on who Donald Trump appoints to the Supreme Court. Um, So we all agree that Donald... um, All right, whatever. So let's let's start with that, okay? Okay. so let's just ask like an obvious question to my my friends who know about this. Um, is Roe v. Wade going to be overturned? It. This is Veronica, the law nerd mentioned before. Um, it's hard to say either way, and the the law predictions market is going to tell you. Um, I think primarily that it won't be. Um, my personal stance is maybe they don't have to because um as you are going to be able to read and are currently able to read in a lot of like law op-eds um and just like regular journalism op-eds they don't necessarily have to because there's the death by a thousand cuts strategy and there are state losses that make it maybe unnecessary but i think um when we think about like what a long political strategy it has been for the right to be able to rely on the promise of killing abortion rights um, for such a long time. I don't think that we can be certain that once a woman is is appointed to the court and they have the kind of like identity politics that they like to play, um, that they won't feel that it's time to take a decisive victory that they're close mm-hmm. to anyway. Okay, so a lot, a lot to break down there, right? But I, th- I think that that to me, yeah, I agree, right? So th- that gets at the meat of it, right? So a lot of people are saying that um, we don't have to overturn Roe because it's already so degraded, and I, that's what I want to spend all the time talking about tonight. But also, um, as we, I think this is what we talked about either on the stream or the last episode. But right, this idea of does the does. Does the right or the liberal order in general want us to overturn Roe, which has been right? So abortion has been the thing kind of cohering and stringing along arguably like both parties in our entire political system for like a good 40 years now. Right. Um, So there is this circulating idea that they don't want. Right. So so the the kind of edgelords are saying like the libs don't actually want us to end this fight because they need to keep some because all the libs have is getting mad about abortion or getting stressed about IUDs or whatever. And of course, the most the most powerful thing that the right 
Knight has, just in, according to some people, is this kind of, I don't know, fucking passion play or whatever it is. Um, and, and they need that. So let's talk. Arya, um, okay, do you, first of all, Arya, do you think that they, do you expect that they are going to overturn Rue? Like when we get, when we get a justice? Again, it's really hard to say, but I can say with confidence that the pro-life movement has been constructing um, their laws Mm -hmm. and their strategies around an eventual overturn of Roe v. Wade, um, almost in a way that that they really feel like it's a sure thing that Mm -hmm. they're going to get that. This is really important, and let me back it up then for a second. First of all, this is going to sound a little crazy, but I feel like we have to explain what does Roe v. Wade say? Like, what does it say? What is it? Like, we say that this is our abortion Supreme Court case. What does it actually say? Don't read it. Just, like, tell us what it says. It's <laughs> okay. I think this is so... That's um, for Veronica. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did reflexively open it to read it as I answered. Um, Don't read it. No cheating. I know. Okay. I'm, I'm excited to learn about this because for the longest time, it's just been the case that made it so people can get abortions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was that. And it, it still is that because it's the basis of the right to get them. But what it does is not, it doesn't say that you have an inherent right, like to this procedure, like regardless of context. And it doesn't place that right as something that you can like carry around in your body the way that you could carry around. Like, I mean, we don't have a right to healthcare, but if we were talking about a procedure that, we were truly only conceptualizing as involving one person. That's not how it's framed. It's framed with this deference to doctors and to the medical field where there's a question of the medical viability of the um, fetus, which is where we see the um, trimester system emerging out of um, and becoming like more complex over time. And there are laws that are, built like to exploit that deliberately as part of the movement to eventually overturn it. So I wait, I have a question about this because I want to clarify because I don't know if I'm right about it. Basically Roe concedes that a fetus is a life or whatever at a certain point, right? Is that correct? Um, so it I says think... like the state has interest in protecting the fetus after a certain point, yeah. which is viability, right? So it says um, the state shouldn't interfere with your right to get an abortion until there's a fetus that is viable. Is that right? Is that kind of what Roe originally said? It approaches it like it's balancing the um, right of the pregnant person um, to, I mean, it's not framed as such, but essentially to their like bodily autonomy is the way that mm-hmm. like anyone that is reading it in the way that I think probably we would, um, and certainly that like choice liberals would, um, yeah, yeah, versus the states. So that's a legitimate interest in the eyes of the court, a legitimate interest that they can, they're allowed to advance as a a state interest as the people within the state have like a right to their, some degree of autonomy, um, framed differently than we would frame it, but still accepted as a truth. Um, and then, the opposing right is the right, like the interest of new life, which is also seen as a legitimate state interest that they can like have, they can legitimately have some policies 
to control. Right. Yeah. So you said that like the trimester, um, you know, so it says like at a certain point, this, this thing is a baby and it has, we have stakes over it. Right. Um, yes. When it's and, viable and the viability thing says, you know, Oh yeah. Okay. So it says like when, when this thing can live outside of the pregnant person, right. Which mm-hmm. it is, doesn't what, is specify it? like with what degree of yes. medical intervention, intervention, which is where right. the problem the essential problem arises. And of course we have like more science than we had when Roe happened. Right. So right. this and really does kind of leave that open. Yeah. It um, doesn't necessarily, sorry, Aria, go ahead. So yeah, on, on the topic of trimesters, like they're not real, like they were invented for political reasons. Like yes. scientifically they're not real. Um, and the other thing is that with this question of viability and, um, you know, when a child can survive outside the womb, the viability uh, has a real meaning. And because it has no real meaning, uh, lawmakers are actually writing laws that say um, as soon as a, a fetus has a heartbeat, then it's mm-hmm. viable. Um, yeah. Because words have no meaning, they are defined within the law itself as it's written. And viability also doesn't mean, like like Veronica said, like with it could mean any level of medical in- intervention. It doesn't necessarily mean can live alone, live independently. Of course, like babies can't live, in, like like born babies can't live independently <laughs> outside of the womb, right? They require a lot of intervention, uh, being fed and all of that shit, right? So. All of that is already kind of a sentimental way of framing it. And I wanted I wanted to outline that just so we understand that like from the beginning, Roe was kind of, in my opinion, a lot of its terms were conservative in nature, right? It conceded that this discussion was about when a life begins. It conceded that the state has an interest in the, the unborn. Um and just like for context, because I really don't know where everybody that I, everybody listening is at with this. Um, I want to give my own, how I interpret like a two second long history of abortion. I'll say like American history of abortion, right? So abortion was not always illegal. It was made illegal. It was made criminalized, right? Kind of in an overlapping way that it was made medicalized, right? As opposed to something that was, I mean, I don't want to over glamorize this, but right. That was something that was practiced in the home or whatever. Right. Um, And, can we explain, do, do you either want to, do either of you want to explain like what it was like in the sixties? I think Aria has a good basis for this, right? Like what did Roe do? It was not like, it's not like since the beginning of time, abortion was illegal, right? Um, it became illegal during a time period where we had a lot of laws that regulated, um, like sexuality and gender as well as, uh, medicalization, right? Which was like the mid 20th century. Um, and Roe v. Wade was, can you just ex- explain what, do you, either of you want to explain who Roe was just like really quickly, uh, like what was being confronted there? Like, what, okay, so the short answer of this is like a lot of lawyers were like, we need to bring this to the Supreme Court or whatever, right? And so this was one of my, a couple of test cases and the, the, the Roe in this case was a woman who was denied an abortion in the state of Texas, correct? It's Texas. Um, anyway, so, so the point being, um, okay, maybe this isn't important, but, um, before that there were, it wasn't that you couldn't get abortions. It's that it was, um, uh, okay. So let's pause for a second and help Aria with audio stuff. I don't know a lot about, um, the case itself, but the context is more about, 
um, I know the political context of like the, they were actually mad about desegregation and when they didn't get their way, they wanted to punish Jimmy Carter. So they invented a a crisis of a faith. I do think that, that, that it is the, like the connection between, this is like more than we should get into, but the connection between the between Brown and Roe is like pretty important, right? This period. Um, this is like maybe one of those things I should harp on more, but so many, so many of the culture war things that come out in the sixties were actually just like literally people being mad about Brown v. Board of Education. Um, and, and this is one of them. So because a lot of it was like a lot of the religious freedom article arguments were literally just like resegregate schools. (laughs) So they would go to the Supreme court to like, I don't know, like resegregate school, whatever. Anyway, um, I don't know that people actually need that little bit of explaining row because I don't know if it was that helpful. Um, I'm just like worried that people don't actually know like what it is, right? Like, I think the history is probably good, but I just don't literally don't know it. I just don't. I just don't want to misspeak that I don't remember it. But I think the the important thing being that like. On, in what we call pre-row was like a, a specific time period, right? Of political conservative conservatism, right? And even at that time, this is the next point I want to get to. It was uneven, so it was not that like you could not. It's not like there were not abortions. It's that they were not accessible or legal everywhere, which is how we get this kind of idea of rich women going to New York or in some famous cases like flying to Sweden or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Things like that. And I want to get to that because let me say this now. The the thing that is true about a Supreme Court case being, quote unquote, overturned is that it then goes to the states. Right. So if we no longer defend yes. this right, then then it's a free for all in all of the states. And that is true. It depends on how how we overturn a case, because it can be true that it returns to a free for all. It could also be true that it gets worse than before. Yes. Very effectively. So I, I have this in my notes and I'll say it. Um, I, a couple of years ago, I don't even remember what happened two or three years ago where this was on the table. Like what the fuck? Cause it's like every two years there's some shit on the table. Right. Yeah. And so we got in this phase cause I got, I got to stick up my ass about how the left doesn't know anything about abortion law. And so I got really educated really quick. And I specifically remember the three of us placing some kind of bet about how they were going to, to on what grounds they were going to succeed at over at toppling Roe. And I do not remember what we decided on, but the three of us were having a lot of conversations about this like three years I ago. I said it was going to be viability. I okay. said that they were going to legislate viability to mean whatever they want it to mean. I li- I remember liking the viability thing. Veronica, do you have any, any pet theories here that you remember? I think that I still have the pet theory that was big um, last year before we knew what was going to happen in June Medical, which is that they're going to get rid of third-party standing. Um, Mm. And then from there, essentially the only way that you'll be able to challenge anything is with a currently pregnant person who could get uh, a abortion legally and wants one under whatever the law is aside from the one that's being challenged. So you could have it narrowed down to like two trimesters or even more severely than that. And then as soon as you're out of that time period, you wouldn't be able to have a case because there's no live controversy, um, right, which okay. is what the, the third, conservatives okay, in June yeah. medical ended up pointing to. So June medical, them. This June Medical will bring me to my one of my next points, which is that um, 
the fact so Roe, like we talked about Roe, Roe as it stands is not what Roe is right now because Roe has been significantly eroded through like a lot of um, Supreme Court cases that happened since it. Um, that we can talk about some of the important ones. And it's important to say this because, so Roe was a test case, right? It was some lawyers who thought that this law should be tackled, who found a couple of good pregnant people to challenge it, right? And they got something. The right did the same thing, sort of. And they have been doing a concerted strategy since Roe to um, bring cases to Roe that will weaken it or challenge it or force the court on whatever grounds to say accept X, Y, Z, right? Um, and so I think it's really important. I had a conversation with someone else who's like a law nerd, a, a different law nerd recently, and they were like, this is a weakness of a supreme of of using the courts to defend your rights, and I think that's true, but it's also not the whole truth because Roe v. Wade is like uniquely weak because of the way that it was attacked, so that it was revised consistently through other cases to have exceptions. And the reason that we don't have good access to abortion right now is because there are so many exceptions, right? And there are so many ways that states are allowed to do all these other things. And that's what I want to kind of move on to before we get to June, because this this case, June Medical, is pretty interesting. Interesting. But I want to kind of take a second to talk because I don't know if we're getting too like all over the place. I want to talk about this. Like the fact is that we've eroded Roe so much that everywhere looks really different. Um, and so Veronica and I are both in Michigan um, and we can talk about what that looks like here. Aria lives in Tennessee and is also from Ohio, which are like probably two of the most um I mean, two very interesting states to talk about. So, um, and Arya is still having audio trouble, so I can wait a second. But I, you're good. Yeah, it's okay. complicated, but okay, you you got a complicated audio solution. Okay, so right, so the the fact being like abortion, as we know, like your right to it is not necessarily protected all over America, et cetera. Why is that? What is it like in Tennessee? Like when it comes uh, to abortion? Oh man. Well, what's really interesting about Tennessee is that um, our constitution for a while um, was interpreted by a court to, it has a privacy clause that was interpreted um, to protect the right to abortion. So until 2014, Tennessee was actually um, an abortion safe haven in the South. Um, and because of the way that Tennessee is shaped, it touches eight different states. Most of those states are deeply affected by um, anti-abortion movements. Um, many of them only have one functioning clinic. Um, and so there's a lot of clinics on those in those border areas in Memphis. Um, Nashville kind of serves Alabama and Kentucky. Um, there's one in Bristol, Tennessee, which serves a lot of Appalachia. So that was very interesting. Then it, that was overturned via referendum, which we'll talk about later, um, in 2014, which opened Tennessee up to trap laws and all of the, um, you know, the things that they've been doing in other other states for years. Yeah, give us um, an example, just in case, like, I don't know, I assume that just, like, a, bu a bunch of incels are listening and they don't know anything about abortion. <laughs> Sorry, fans. Sure. Yeah. So, like, before this happened, it was illegal for um, Tennessee to institute a 
uh, waiting period law. Mm -hmm. And so we recently, you know, in the past few years got our first waiting period law. So um, you have to wait 48 hours in between your first appointment and your second appointment. just in case you change your mind is the concept. They asked me Um, to do that at the dentist. And also like, you know, like when I'm getting, you know, bladder procedures done. I'm kidding, right? That's the joke. (laughs) Right. It doesn't make any sense. Um, And it would, you know, in some in some places it's interpreted as an undue burden, mm-hmm. um, but in the South it's definitely not. Every state in the South has a waiting period. Um, Georgia's the easiest because you can start your waiting period on the phone. So Atlanta has a lot of abortion clinics. So and and you know we mentioned I think we already mentioned the heartbeat heartbeat bills. This has been like a kind of a, a delicious little plague. Um, that's another example of of these laws, right? Like. What's a heartbeat bill? I'm eating. So I'm sorry. heartbeat bills were started in Ohio, mm-hmm. actually. Uh, the first one, I think it was in 2010, maybe 11. Um, and the rhetoric caught on so well that it just tore through the rest of the country. Um, in Tennessee, they pass one just about every legislative session. Um, but they've been changing over time. I don't know if we want to talk about the ways that these um, abortion bans have kind of developed over time uh, kind of, yeah. with new that, strategies. I, mean, I think that's interesting. I think that's something a lot of our listeners maybe haven't heard as much about. Because I, I think considering they even they tried it here, even like I think a lot of our listeners have heard of like the abort, uh, the, the the heartbeat thing. Um but yeah, what what would you say are is like the significant shift in how they're trying to ban abortion over the last really I think the last 10 years is like you said like 2011 things have really been changing a lot. Um we're all sorry. I'm having audio issues. Can you repeat the question? Okay, so I actually just want to make a statement here that everybody's having problems because of AirPods. And it's a yeah. fucking conspiracy. It's a fucking conspiracy. Um, and then we'll get we'll get back on track in a second. Cause I want to talk about the I want to I want to get debating shit. But I just feel like people. I really truly. Th- okay, this is why I wanted to have this conversation because I believe that the left actually no longer takes this issue seriously and refuses to educate itself. Um, and I'm calling all my listeners out. Right. This is what compelled me to have this conversation is because we talk so flippantly about Roe, and I don't mean that like we make jokes or whatever because I think that's fine but people really don't understand what the substance is of this problem and they don't understand why the left is implicated in it or why it matters and they really do not take seriously that this stupid little cultural issue is a front for a, a massive war from capital against working people right that's the bottom line um, and so I really want people to be a little bit nerdy about this and, um, and look at um, kind of the mechanisms right because I'm going to bring this big picture here what I've seen a lot is this um, the sentiment that on like on Twitter or whatever that if Roe is overturned, then it doesn't matter because rich women will always be able to get abortions, which is like unfortunately not actually even true. Um, or people people will frame it really as a blue state versus red state, north versus south thing. And to continue what we were just talking about with what's going on in what happened in Ohio is that. 
Michigan, which many of us know we live here, right? Like Michigan has been a battleground for this issue as of recently, right? Michigan did not used to be a place where, I don't know if this is necessarily true, but it didn't used to be a place where we thought that we had to worry about these things, right? You know, much like we weren't supposed to have to worry about right to work, but the same assault on our labor rights, this is, I'm talking about Michigan and Wisconsin now because that's really where it was also very bad. We saw all these attacks on our labor rights happen at the same time that the this kind of cons- this conservative movement really started to work in the in the Midwest for the first time. Um, I'm kind of curious if if I don't know if Ari if you have an opinion on this, but why did it work? Why is it starting to work in some blue states? I think like we're a blue state, right? Like haters will hate, but Michigan is a fucking blue state, right? Like Wisconsin is a fucking blue state. Like we invented the labor movement. Why do you think that this is starting to finally work in, you know, do you think it's like a misconception that this is a problem of Southerners or like quote unquote conservative states or? I think that the rhetoric is really appealing. Um, and well strategized, especially around the heartbeat stuff, um, because the Catholic kind of life begins at conception stuff just never really caught on um, in the same way that like uh, this thing has a heartbeat. So it is a person now um, kind of rhetoric, if that makes sense. Yeah, it just makes th- sense to me. I think that ben, does it make sense to you? What do you think about this? I'm sorry, I'm going to call you out. A fetus having a heartbeat. Does that make you want to does that make you think that it's murder to abort it? No. Cool. <laughs> Good answer. If Alex was here, he'd try to start some shit with me. He'd be like <laughs> He'd be like, you know, life really means something to like, you know, working class people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would mean, return to that, right? Ask me if you had asked me, like, um, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, I probably would have said yes. But I was, like, you know, raised in, like, a Baptist church by white people. Um, and so it was shortly after that that I kind of broke out of that uh, frame of mind, I guess. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that uh, it's a person because it has a heartbeat. I think Ben, I think ben brings up a good point about indoctrination. Because mm-hmm. we've been talking about how this is like this is a relatively new issue is like invented in the late 60s. And so we're just now sort of seeing um, generations of people who have been raised with this issue mm-hmm. um, and and spent their whole lives sort of being informed by this uh, develop that or this rhetoric that's being developed to be more sophisticated, you know, year after year. Maybe it's because like I'm an asshole or something, but it's never uh, it's it's never been something I've been like particularly passionate about. I mean, I remember like being like younger and being in church and being told, you know, uh, abortion is murder. You know, life begins at conception, and just thinking, oh damn, that's that's fucked. Uh, I don't really know what else to think about that. <laughs> um. This kind of makes me want to take this in another direction that um, I was planning on saving for later. But um, I, I really wanted to. So I wanted to like just talk about the Supreme Court shit because this is this is an electoral politics podcast or whatever it is. Um, and we can get Formally. we can get back. 
yeah. Uh, we can get back to uh, the Catholic Supreme Court uh, in a second if you want to, but um, the second half of this, I really wanted to spend time talking about what leftists, and some of this is going to be straw leftists, sorry, but what people, what young leftists are saying about abortion, what I've kind of um, seen um, particularly this newly emerging left critique of abortion or of pro-choice culture. And one of the things that I think um, I've one of the things that I've heard is this idea, it's kind of twofold. There's this idea that um, the I, okay, the, the idea is that um, the right, is willing to uh, that the the left is not even willing to have the discussion about when life begins, which like we're squeamish about it, right? So like Ben says, no, I don't think that the heartbeat me- makes you know means that that's a life, right? So this critique that's mm-hmm. now coming from the left is that the left refuses to have like nuanced ethical conversations about quote-unquote life and paired with this is this idea that that we've seen a lot with like new new left populism which this belief that regular working class people have populist religious attachments or sentimentalities or strongly held beliefs and that the left needs to let go of which, by the way, the Democratic Party argued this in the early 90s, right? This idea that the regular people were Catholic, right? This is this is really the Democratic Party's thing in the 90s. The regular people didn't really care about defending a, abortion and that we should protect their religious kind of sensibilities and just let this go a little bit, right? Um, now I'm seeing leftists pick this up again in the same way that they say that, like, the working class, the white, we need to, like, listen to the white working class, right? It's the same kind of argument, right? But um, do you think, what do you think about this idea that the left should take seriously the, like, messy ethical implications of abortion and that we refuse to? Do you think, I mean... I think it's dumb. We, yeah, it's dumb. <laughs> I have a really long-standing edgelord framing of it, which makes sense for me as someone who's interested in another, primarily another area of law, criminal law, I think. We don't need to take Mm -hmm. up the question, at least in the legal context of when the life begins, because if a person, a fully formed other person had some type of means to physically attach to you for nine months, affecting all of your organ function, et cetera, et cetera. And then like compel a duty to them for 20 years, that would be a defense. (laughs) Straight up. Have we tried that? Has the left tried that? Whenever I try it, it's received as a joke because it's kind of a joke, but it's also a, a logically sound joke. It, that's true. That would this be is, a defense. This is a fascinating you know, point, which is that we take more seriously, we or with a more we have more nuance toward, towards like I don't know, like I don't know. I think you know we we have a more balanced view of, of life and who the state has has um, an interest in when it's like two murdering criminals or like a, a hum- an adult victim or whatever than yeah. we do in this case, right? Yes. Um, I, I also think going on what Veronica said about it not mattering is that like I mean, do we have to come to an ethical conclusion and then legislate it? Like what? why can't it be up to an individual to decide? Because a lot of this issue is about, oh, it's religious freedom. 
Um, we t- we talked about this with the with the uh, satanic temple last week, which is the, that the satanic temple. I can't remember where we were going with this, but this idea that like other religions are having their religious freedom impinged by the by banning. Uh, bans on abortion which i love right um veronica is that a thing would that work could you like be like it's my religious freedom to have abortion and then will the supreme court be like i never thought of that i think that if you could it would have been tried because there are religious mandates to allow it in islam and i think not maybe as explicitly but in judaism right Mm, at least there's like a there, I don't really know. I'm supposed to like know, but I don't. Cultural historical affinities. Um, yes, right. That's really yeah, important, right? It's not just about central to the practice of these religions. So it's not like this demand to be like we have to like fully come to like an ethical framing of it that we all agree on the same way that the right does. That's because the right has completely adopted and assimilated and just like is this particular Christian ethos. And I, I mean, that's a dumb demand to make. Obviously you don't want to do that. I'm trying again, not to repeat myself too much, but this is actually what we will get to her, but this is what Elizabeth Brunig argued in her recent New York times editorial that had that like clickbait anti-Catholic thing. But what she actually argued was that Catholicism has a kind of holistic Catholicism uniquely refuses to separate, you know, to, to become secular, to separate, um, you know, church and state or whatever, right? Um, which I don't think is fair to other religions because I think that all religions have that capacity. Um, but uh, so it refuses to cede to liberalism or whatever. Um, which, yeah, <laughs> true, true. So, um, which that is what it is. I okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna segue into this because I I don't actually li- okay. I don't like to hash out podcast beef on this podcast it annoys me when the boys talk about chapo a little bit sometimes because i don't think we should talk about other podcasts i think it's just an etiquette thing i try to and, avoid it as much as yeah, possible we do all kind of talk about true because we do like it but the fact is that some of this emerging you know I, I can't have a straw leftist argument at this point without talking a little bit about some of the other podcasts and i specifically do not like to talk about red scare because i think people over focus on red scare as kind of and as a scapegoat for things that they're not responsible for and they're shock jocks, right? And I do, I will say right here, no, I'm not trying to beef with them. And I also literally straight up think that it's kind of misogynist that people are so obsessed with them being worse than like come town, which is like, they're like not worse than come town. All right. All right. That's it. That's my disclaimer. We're going to talk. <laughs> the reason I brought this up is because they had an episode. I don't even, I no longer remember what the recent episode was about, but they had, and they've had a whole episode on abortion before in the past, but they, they talked about it a little bit with, with regards to Ginsburg and they said a couple of things that I think I'm not going to, that I, that I think are fucking batshit insane, but I'm not going to single them out for because I have seen them kind of with increasing regularity. Um, and one of them, they're related to this like issue of criminal law, right? So again, this, this like might, this is like a very upsetting thing to hear. It's a shock jock or whatever, you know? So one of the things they were talking about how the left just refuses to deal with the ethics of, they believe that, you know, fetuses are a life or whatever. And they said something about how people get so worked up and sentimental about victims of police violence, but refuse to have the same consideration for an unborn life, right? 
Um, now, I wouldn't say that these are like great leftists or anything, but this is like the Bernie. These are people who have a lot of listeners, uh, Bernie bros on the left, right? And they're not the only ones who feel this way. Um, so maybe we should talk about Elizabeth Bruning now, right? Uh, because, <laughs> and, and I do think I should talk her sometimes because I, I think that she's in it. So Liz Bruning is a social democrat Catholic convert who is a, an opinion writer for the New York Times. And her husband is a kind of middling wonk who does some good work for something called, it's what is it, the People's Policy Project? That's his, right? Um, including work that has been picked up by Bernie Sanders, some of which is good, right? He's like an economist or some shit. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, these are people who are not necessarily taken to task the way that the shock jock girls at Red Scare are, right? These are people who are respected. She's a fucking New York Times editorialist, right? Um, but they have a lot of these um, concerning socially conservative positions that the left accepts because for a couple of reasons right this is purity politics shit right they say that we should not demand that all leftists has, yeah right so they're like the, you can be a leftist and still be pro-life or whatever right um but the reason i focus on liz bruning is because i think she's actually dangerous i think that a podcaster otherwise is just like a podcaster could, I could have personal investment in not blaming podcasters for their behavior, <laughs> but Elizabeth Bruning has power, and I, I really want to point out that, like, people will say it's just her, like, religious position that she's writing about in Washington Post or whatever, but in fact, if you actually follow all of these so-called religious positions, they do lead to money, right? Mm -hmm. They they lead to power. Um, and the so the notable... Liz Burning has been talking about this for a very long time, right? She'll write op-eds or do videos about how she is a... It used to, Actually, I found, like, a 2014 one she did for... I don't remember which. And it was before she just decided she was a socialist. So the headline was, like, I'm a, I'm a pro-life liberal. And I thought that was really fucking funny. Because uh, she's, like, anti-lib now or whatever. But anyway, so she she has this this argument that is an extremely mainstream one. Uh, that I increasingly call the democratic socialist argument, which is that we don't we don't want to have abortion because abortion is bad, so we have to prevent it, and we have to do so by alleviating po alleviating poverty. This is the most powerful. Obviously, it's powerful because like we like do want to alleviate poverty, although that's not yeah. how I would frame it because I'm not fucking like a disciple alleviate poverty right like i, I we wanna... don't want to do it in order to achieve the perfect family and right like, right wholesome I mean, gender I... role units because that's psycho that's not the mean, that's not the ends sure right that's that right and right to the point uh yeah that is psycho but you know also like we're not i don't really i'm a i'm a fucking socialist i'm not looking to alleviate poverty i'm looking to dismantle capitalism right which is not something that liz Brunig says so the, the really noted example of this that people bring up is um, she wrote something. It's been a couple of years now, but, you know, the, the title was Pro-Life, Anti-Poverty. Um, and it was for the American conservative, which I think is really important because people, you know, people don't necessarily. I mean, obviously, we don't like conservatives, but the left increasingly like doesn't think, you know, they're like, oh, it's just a conservative newspaper. It's just like. They're like wonks or they might be just Catholics or something. But if you actually look at the board of these papers, there's fucking like Coke operat operatives on there, right? Like this is where capital is operating. They have like fucking little newspapers where they write about the ethics uh, of their faith or whatever 
Meanwhile, they're, like, the richest people in the world, right? So there's, like, real... Mm -hmm. To me, I actually don't care how you feel about heartbeats, but you can't be a leftist and do free labor for the Koch brothers or whatever, mm -hmm. right? Anyway, I just wanted to bring that up. Um, so so we've, we've discussed a couple of these arguments, um, right? Like, pr we, we don't like abortion, so we're just going to, like, get rid of poverty or whatever, and then we simple can resume. Yeah, be. simple, easy fix, right? <laughs> um, the argument, the argument to this is that like people only get abortions out of desperation, right? Uh, which we know to not be a meaningful thing or measurable thing, right? Yeah, I actually, I was gonna, I was gonna ask, like, with that argument, like, so the argument that uh, we need to alleviate poverty to get rid of abortions. Mm -hmm. What what happens in the situation? Uh, where there is no poverty, but people still right. want to get abortions. <laughs> right. So the, here's the here's the thing, and this is why, I mean, Liz Brunig is not a communist. But are there abortions in communism? Not. I don't mean like communism, like Soviet communism, because the answer is like complicated there. Uh, <laughs> no. Right. So the, like in our utopia that we're building, do people have abortions? I mean, obviously sure. the answer is yes. Of course they have abortions because right? it's it's birth control. It's, it's not, literally, yeah. It, it, it's yeah. not like this catastrophic um, thing that happens because people are poor. It's something that happens because people are pregnant and they don't want to be pregnant. And there's going to be unwanted pregnancies under communism, just like there are under capitalism. Well, here's the mm -hmm. argument that they make. Because, because also, it's not this, like, utopia is not about achieving... Like, if we make a perfect environment for people, the people won't become perfectly Christian, moral, right. gender behavior, family right. beings. Like, the, the wholeness that you want to restore is to the individual, not to people to live in these little units that we've decided are the kinds of little units that they should be in, and therefore they, like, won't be cosmically punished by their bodies doing anything that they don't want. Well, okay, let... Yeah, so let me let me let me answer a couple. First of all, the, the thing is that Liz Brunig says that there that in a utopia, this is just what she would believe, right? This is the part of this. In a utopia, there's no situation where a pregnant person would not want to be pregnant. But that doesn't make communist sense, right? This doesn't make sense if so. You both said individuals, and it's fine to say individuals, but like maybe the, they're gonna come back and be like individuals. You sound like a neolib, right? The fact is that, like, pregnancy is not... They're talking about individuals, but they've just expanded it to a four-person unit. Correct. Atom to molecule, right? Atom to molecule. Um, the, the, the nuclear family is, like, a type of individual. But the, the fact is that in, under communism, right, every pregnancy might not be best for the collective, right? It might not be um, best for a future new person, right? Um, there are a million reasons that are not just individual that are also um, collective and social, why not everybody needs to be pregnant just because they are fertile, right? Um, but when they say that we want to alleviate poverty to stop people from having to get abortions, what they do, what they mean is they want to alleviate any potential for someone who can get pregnant to not get pregnant, um, which is just weird. That sounds like some, that sounds like some forced birth shit to me, right? Um, so, and we'll, we'll get to the creepy shit. I have a, a whole, a whole section on that, but I, let me check the time here. All right. Um, so the, the last thing I want to address, I, 
that I, ha I have like this list, bulleted list of like the shit that the leftists say about why they're like critical of abortion. And I think the most legitimate one to me is that they is a critique of um, just liberal pro choice politics that don't take into account socioeconomic factors or right. A really popular thing with the fem cells online is they make fun of the like shout your abortion people because they think it's corny, right? Like that's like the best art. They're like, this is like cheesy and like gross. Um, but here, here's my <laughs> I last. I know those here's... people. They're really nice. <laughs> the shout your abortion people? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, like I, I've been just reading some of my own friends' personal writings about this lately I understand why shout your abortion and like abortion pride or like I'd, I'd have another abortion or whatever seems like callous and cheesy to some people, but it only is achieved for people af as like an option within like a sea of much worse options, right? The the path that a lot of women, usually women like get go through to get there is like really torturous for them. And it's just like r even more callous to disregard regard that in my opinion. Most of our listeners, I think would agree with that, right? Like that we have some empathy for people who have had abortions and now are not ashamed of that, right? Uh, but the, the last bullet point I have on here, I'm sorry if I'm talking over you guys, but um, Veronica and I did listen to this Red Scare episode just to take notes on like what they were talking about with abortion. And there was one quote that really like, truly astounded me and and laid me over, laid me like on the ground, right? Which is um, they this argument, this is a quote, abortion is so overrun by corporate interests, they are not going to stand for outlawing it. This is the funniest fucking thing I've ever heard. What? Do you think it would be it's hard insane. to get abortions if abortions were profitable? No. No. Uh, no. Okay, oh so my god. Abortions are actually abortions are actually incredibly expensive because of the restrictions on them. That's the only reason that they cost so much money. But yeah, so their abortion their abortions are expensive for the users. Are they profitable for for Absolutely uh, not. If there's Absolutely only one not. clinic in each state, what level right. of industry can there be? There's a huge it doesn't cost. Check out. There's a huge cost for abortion practitioners too. Right, like um, including like that they yeah. get murdered all the time. Yeah, there's there's risk. I mean, huge risk, especially now. I'm going to bring it up, especially in the South. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and um, it's just like. There will be like one practitioner. I know the one, like the one in Montgomery, Alabama, like, you know, doesn't even live there and goes there twice a week um, just to do abortions. Like, there's just like, they make huge sacrifices and they don't make very much money compared to the money that you can make as a surgeon um, in a hospital. This kind of reminds me of a point that, um, what the fuck is his name? Um... Uh, what's the name of it? Tim Faust, who wrote that um, single payer book. I think it's a Verso book, um, and he's kind of an interesting like single payer figure. And he makes this point. I really like. I highly recommend his interview with the Dig. Kind of went off. Uh, he makes this point that is commonly it's well known for like healthcare advocates, but I had never heard this before. But um, that it's actually like the our very capitalistic, extremely horrible healthcare system 
prioritizes certain types of healthcare to become money makers and other kinds to become like money losers. And actually right now, like you only make money if you go into, if you're a certain kind of specialist, right? And so the consequence of that is that we have a, a great shortage of just like family doctors, like regular doctors that you go to. Um, it's very, you know, and it's, um, and the cost is like kind of offloaded onto those practitioners sometimes, right? Like they put all this money mm-hmm. into, the, into going to medical school and they can't make any money and then there become whole parts of, you know, it's not just abortion. There's all kinds of regular mundane health care that is not accessible um, all over the country. And it's because of our for-profit health care system that incentivizes some kinds of health care, right? So not all health care. I don't know healthcare. much about it specifically, but it's like bad enough that you can get like kind of a deal being admitted into medical school if you just like medium imply that you would want to be like a rural family care practitioner because there aren't any and it's turning towards that but yeah is this a good time to bring up the Hyde amendment (laughs) all right all right okay how does the Hyde amendment what is that and how does it relate to this i literally (laughs) forgot there's so much fucking shit i forgot about the fucking Hyde amendment (laughs) um yeah i mean so it the Hyde amendment makes it so that you know if you're on medicare medicaid like it can't pay for your abortion um and then most it it it's very difficult to get your insurance provider to pay for your abortion, even if you have really good insurance, um, because it's considered elective. Um, and it's also just like wildly unpopular. So, um, that's another reason that abortion's not profitable is because nobody can charge any of this stuff to insurance companies. Mm-hmm. That also, like, yeah. that's like maybe directly, your ultrasound, just... maybe mm-hmm. your ultrasound, if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. It also just like sets a precedent for like a way that healthcare can be legislated and like mm-hmm. things can be cut yeah. out. And with abortion, it's particular to like the moral argument that has been created to perpetuate it as a political issue. This is the most important but thing, right? So we see so... things like that coming up with like um, when John Roberts called it a gun to the head of the states to offer them funding for Obamacare. That's exactly. like a historical right. let, let result. Me, let me draw this out, right? Like so so pulling apart one medical thing and saying that we should not as a as a polity have to support this is a neoliberal tactic to unravel the support, right? Like the state the state la network of support in healthcare, right? So being anti-abortion is fundamentally incompatible with the concept of, for example, universal healthcare or just the welfare state in general. Mm-hmm. And what Veronica is saying here is that literally that logic, that understanding that there that you can make a moral argument against providing a health service to some of our people, that is what one of the grounds on which a resistance to our shittiest version of a universal health care, which would be Obamacare, came up, right? They resisted Obamacare on the same terms, which is just... The court has this method where they can unify the moral objection in the individual instance, which in this we're going... We're starting with abortion, so the moral objection is to abortion. They can connect that to the moral um, objection that the courts and the people of the like federal society judge wing nuts want to make to just federal power over states in general. Mm -hmm. And then you can also use that same tactic, which they have, they have before as well, but they'll continue to. And every time they use it, it gets stronger. You can use that to uh, dismantle 
federal funding incentives for welfare, mm-hmm. um, anything public schools, public schools um, basically any kind of social safety network. Mm-hmm. You can say every time they use it, it gets stronger. And eventually like if this were to keep going in an ideal trajectory with no intervention, the way that it do would do with like a seven to two court, um, Mm-hmm. eventually funding incentives are just like de facto not allowed. This is it the probably most... won't actually happen because it would be a trajectory they'd have to pull back from for just like functional reasons, but that's where they want to set themselves up to be. I think that is like, to me, I think, I think I'm glad we built towards that because the, the question at the end of the day is like, what is the left case for defending abortion rights and access to abortion rights? And much like, much like people on the right side of this believe that the left refuses to engage with the, the messy ethical nuances of abortion, people on the other side of this refuse to accept what we always say, which is that the, that people, working people deserve to have sovereignty over their reproductive life cycle. They patent, right, that these are, and I can't say that anymore because it's not enough to them, right? Like, working people deserve to have sovereignty over their life, you know, to to control the means of literal reproduction, right? That's what that's about. That is why it's leftist. But at the end of the day, this is, what Veronica is saying is, like, the most pragmatic and important reason why you cannot be a leftist who opposes access to abortion, because opposing access to abortion is, is... It the grounds rights on shit. it states rights shit. It's the grounds on which we are they are fighting against literal socialism, right? And people do not mm-hmm. recognize that the powers are the same powers, and that the logic is connecting, and that they're using this fight to dismantle all of the things that we and are fighting. If you're for. trying to locate what side capital is on, and you're placing it on the same side <laughs> as people having actual genuine control over their bodies you're making a really dumb fuck mistake and could benefit from reading right. a book. Because all, at the end of I said, I've said this in multiple streams at this point, at the end of the day, we have to understand that capital does not want workers to be in control of their reproductively their reproduction and their reproductive labor, mm-hmm. labor because capital relies on being in total control of, of the labor force, which includes its reproduction, right? Which includes the creation or not creation, the regulation of new workers and people who do labor at home, right? That's fundamental to what we should believe in. in, I said this before we were recording, but I have to say it regarding the, the red scare quote and what you just said, the idea, like the association that's made with the like choice consumption capital Mm -hmm. and like women being free to stay like young consumers. I think that that's where it's come from comes from is Mm -hmm, like there's mm -hmm. a certain type of consumption that's very visible and very advertised that they're identifying as what the interests of Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. capital are because it's what's marketed but the idea that having a kid investing in all of the social trappings of having a child that that raising a child in the united states is not absolutely (laughs) mandatory tons and tons of consumer Spending. Right, like it's, babies yes. are profitable. It, like it's what invests <laughs> you in a segregated school system. It's what right. invests you in school of choice. Literally, even even if abortion so was profitable, stupid. like reminding us that we live. No in one a makes interest total- on it. No one makes credit card right. interest on it. Yeah, on it for two decades on it. Right? I, no, we do live in the totality and all of that. Right? So all of these things reproduce capital. It is true that everything that we do reproduces capital. However. Babies do... Just in terms of literal money spent. That like, the facts don't check out and you should, like, draft your claims better. 
Yeah, and but what, the other point that you were making is like it is it's a it is a here's the thing the the critiques of feminism that a lot of these leftists are making I don't necessarily disagree with right um, I think it's a failure of feminism to have invented this concept of choice right um, and that's because feminism was also a lot of feminists even great ones who did good things for us were anti-communists, right? Like, mm-hmm. they they wanted a market solution to bodily... They wanted market-based bodily autonomy, right? And we have... Mm-hmm. I, to a certain degree, it's okay to reject that. But that yeah. doesn't mean you have to hate abortion just because just you really don't like Alyssa Milano, which is <laughs> fine to I came here today because out of personal love for Alyssa Milano. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're stands. Who I, I definitely know who that is, for sure. All right, there's one there's a little bit of there's something we need to talk about before before we let this go before we let this go there's something we have to talk about. Um dead babies, the e- the eating of babies, the yes. uh, the the sale marketing and circulation of of dead babies, George Soros. For their uh, for their adrenochrome, right? Something like that, right? Yeah. Yes. Arya, That's tell a- me about this article that you are amped on. Let's just pitch this because you think everybody so should read about it because it's good. I think everybody needs to read it. I saw it because Robin Marty retweeted it. And if you don't follow Robin Marty, you need to. Um, she wrote um, a book called Post Row America. Um, that is a must read. Actually, I think I have an extra copy of it. I'll mail it to you. Anyway. Um, it's in rewire and it's about how the pro-life movement has latched onto QAnon and kind of embedded themselves and their ideologies into QAnon by identifying, um, you know, sort of compatible, um, conspiracies with conspiracies that they've been pushing since the 1980s. Okay, so I want to back this up because this this just fact kind of blew my mind a little bit. So um, recently I read some article. I was like, you know what? I really don't know enough about QAnon. I'm going to just freshen up a little. So I was reading some articles and reminded about how their, their strategy is that they like take a reasonable enough conspiracy theory that like liberal conservatives might or liberals might be interested in. The great example is human trafficking or... Um, Epstein style, you know, like pedophilia, etc. And they will infiltrate these like well-meaning causes and then turn them into QAnon. What Arya is saying that this article talks about is how it is the pro-life movement that is infiltrating QAnon because the pro-life movement has a longer history of conspiracy theory, like wingnut conspiracy behavior than QAnon does. So that that fact just, I mean, it's obvious, but it also fucking blew my mind, right? Talking about the pro-life movement and um, their tactics and and their um, history almost feels like I'm outlining a uh, a, a fucking conspiracy theory because yeah. um, I'm like thinking about okay, just a few years ago, David Delayden with the Planned Parenthood um, cells body parts right but then david delayden is affiliated with operation rescue and operation rescue is responsible indirectly for the 2009 murder of george tiller an abortion practitioner and then before that operation rescue was um pushing an anti-clinton agenda um and and all of that fits 
neatly into QAnon's anti-Clinton agenda. And I feel like I'm standing um, in my garage with like a lot of red string and <laughs> <laughs> printed out photos. <laughs> but yeah, so um, the idea is that George Soros and whatever, Rothschild, whoever, is funding Planned Parenthood, um, and Planned Parenthood is funneling um, dead baby parts into this cabal of, of you know, um, baby-eating rich people, um, and then Who it's all Satan. interconnected. Yeah, and so defunding Planned Parenthood um, is going to basically now be an, a QAnon issue. I have a note in in my notes, a really important little bullet point that says, give Ricky permission to say that the pro-life movement is a blood libel conspiracy. <laughs> it um, literally is. This is like, yeah, I've mentioned this. I feel like I brought this up in a DSA meeting recently. I've been, there's kind of like, um, I feel like it's kind of an origin story for like some like right wing, right wing Catholic pro-lifers because there's like these stories about, I don't know if you guys know who Dorothy Day was, but she is the founder of a movement called Catholic Worker, which is pretty respected by the left, right? It was like a, an anarcho kind of welfare group in the 30s or whatever with Catholic principles. Um and, but she became kind of a low-key later in life a figurehead of the pro-life movement because she was a convert, I think. And she had like been around like vice and shit and later was like, it, I'm glad I'm a Catholic now. But she had beef with Emma Goldman because I think, I don't even remember what it was because, she, but she like accused Emma Goldman possibly of pressuring her into having an abortion or something like that and this is in some of her letters so I love this idea that like the pro-life movement began with a beef an anarchist beef where a catholic was like accusing this Jewish anarchist of like low-key blood libel of like forcing her to like abort her baby that's literally like what the conversations were like in the 30s um so I love that that is so interesting anyway okay where were we uh that's like my pet theory is that is that that's where that all came from. Oh, I forgot to mention when we were talk, talking about Roe, I mean, um, Jane Roe right. turned coat, right? Mm -hmm. And then for years, and she was paid off by yeah. Operation Rescue. It all comes back okay, to Operation so Rescue. Let me, there was an article about this that came out like kind of recently, right? So this idea is that the, so the woman who was at the center of the case in Roe v. Wade was later a pro-life activist who, I don't even remember what she would say, but she came out later. She died recently. That's why there was an article, right? Is that what that was? She came out and said she was paid that whole time by, I guess it was Operation at Rescue, maybe others, to be pro-life, which is not Might uncommon. Have Operation like, Save America is another one. Um, it's not what uncommon, actually, for to find out that these uh, bec because it's astroturfing, right? We didn't call it that at the time, but the pro-life movement was always astroturfing. It was supposed to be this moral thing, but it was really a money thing. Um, I don't think anybody's astroturfing abortion, though. That would be yeah. who's there, George Soros? Because <laughs> I've been trying to figure um, that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a number of. Them. Like, I know, for example, the Waltons have money in this, but they're more about the schools thing, right? 
I feel like there was somebody I heard about recently who's a Texas Texas business person who's like, this is a good question, right? Um, Because the answer is like a lot of capital, right? All of the conservative, the right wing, like think tank capital has their money in in the pro-life movement, right? They have their hands in the pro-life movement. Um, so, so capital is the George Soros of the right. Rip. Okay. Um, okay. Speak, speaking of, right now, maybe it's the Pope. Is it the Pope? Yeah, that was what I was going to say, but it's too obvious because okay. they don't really okay. Like, need the money. We only, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's true. That's true. Okay. Okay. So let's bring this back. Let's bring this home a little bit. Amy Coney Barrett. That's her name, right? Uh-huh. So what, a, what a fucking mouthful of a, so people are debating whether or not she's like a regular Catholic or like straight up, uh, like cult figure. Like, is she her? So, so yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know enough about Catholicism to make that judgment. But the idea is that her her version of Catholicism is like pretty conservative and like weird, right? She's some sort of evangelical yeah. Catholic, right? Does anybody know anything about this? Just the handmaiden thing that Tell she's in about her, that she's in her little club where you get like advisors that you call your handmaidens and it's very i know also that that her um little sect practices like charismatic meetings or whatever so they practice like protestants but they've got this mm-hmm. little feudal society which in my opinion is a very catholic thing to do to be like we're using all this vocabulary to make it clear that if we could, we would have serfs. Um, <laughs> just like I think this Catholic may have moved there. I have changed my mind on everything. I believe that capital is actually funding the, I believe that this is all to raise money for Hulu's Handmaid's Tale because we do need liberal women to believe that this shit's real so that they will <laughs> subscribe to Hulu. Um, so I believe that that Scientologist lady can give interviews where she's just uncomfortably like, I, I have no idea what a cult is and I've never, I've never heard of that. Yeah. 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 That's, that's what the real abortion profit is, is that. Okay. So so if we, if, if, if we confirm this lady, how many Catholics will there be on the Supreme court? I don't know which liberals are Catholics. They Um, got those fucking names right there's like some of them are italian and some of them are irish right it's listen when they talk about the catholics on the supreme court you don't have to even know which ones are currently on it when people say that it's a historically catholic dominated institution it's really like an aberration within u.s government like like i think Mm. the main thing that most people know is their like fun fact about catholics was like everyone was afraid that kennedy would be controlled by the pope but that was that's never been the case with judges. Being a judge is like for some reason, and I like you would have to do like a extensive kind of like historical study on it. Being a judge is a Catholic job. It's like being a cop for the Irish. Um, <laughs> it is. It was. Um, I mean, this is also true thing for, for Jews, a, right? Like there were right, like for other reasons. What what's going on here culturally? Not to nearly the same extent because. Um, I think Cardozo had like tenuous Jewish ties and then Brandeis was like the first big one yeah. and they both faced like anti-Semitism. So yeah. you're, say- you're saying there's no such thing as structural anti-Catholicism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm making the On bold record. claim. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, 
Right, so here, here's what I don't understand. Alex and I kind of fumbled. In our last episode, the one where we just listed all of the people that we think were judges that we had ever heard of when we were in Some of them, I think, were dead, but they were, like, pretty recent ones, so it was still I couldn't attempt. figure out. Like, I... <laughs> people keep talking about... What's his face? Briar is pronounced yeah. Briar, right? Is that Breyer. an Irish name, first of all? Is he Catholic? I don't know. Let me look him up. Steve? I, like, every time people talk about him, I'm like, I don't think I've ever noticed him before. <laughs> yeah, that's why... When everyone's like, oh, it's he's not being asked to step down. It's like, yeah, he's been pretty nothing the whole time. Um, um, which is kind of also how Ruth was towards the end, but okay. So we obviously like don't know anything about the Supreme Court, but does it matter that she's Catholic? Would it be just as bad if she was this kind of Protestant? Or should we be talking about um, Catholicism? I think... I think Arya I think is Catholic. Let's point... Yeah. Well, is Italian. <laughs> Well, you're kind of Catholic. Catholic too, right? Yeah. You're yeah. Oh, Briar's Jewish, apparently, and Kagan. Oh yeah. I, yeah. Oh, you know Kagan. Interesting. So the, we truly, do. it really um, is like a Soros v. Pope situation. It's fucked up. As a lapsed Catholic that lives in the South, surrounded by Protestants, I don't think that it would be any different if she was an evangelical. She's an evangelical Catholic, basically, too. Truly, yeah. Um, What were we talking about the other day? Like, why aren't there any Pentecostals on the Supreme Court? (laughs) 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 I wish it were. I wish it were a Pentecostal. Because it wouldn't be any different. So we haven't actually... I like was hoping that one of you... I think that it would be a little bit different because of the, the history of... Catholicism in like judging because the, yeah like, because there's this like I don't know how I don't know the strength of the causation that I want to say here but there's go this, hard that's like, that's what you okay. do on a podcast <laughs> <laughs> there's a historical affiliation between people that are Catholic and the creation of jurisprudence in America and before that I mean Anglicans are not that different. And because of the density of them, which is, I mean, I can't explain, but there's a density of (laughs) Catholics as judges (laughs) at at every level. And there's also this like far right religious movement within the, the like creation of the body of lawyers who are available to be judges, who will be judges who are appointed and who will move up. So there is, as a result, an affinity between movement conservatism and religious movement conservatism in the field of jurisprudence and Catholicism, where you could for sure have someone who had like moved up to the Federalist Society and was like a part of the religious right, who was a Protestant and had all of these like same ideas. But I do believe that there is some kind of structural correlation Hmm. Um, maybe just created by having already existed, but between the Catholic church as a structure participants in it and right wing movements within judging. And this is, I think this is what Alex was trying to say was that that would be a reason because Thomas isn't Clarence Thomas isn't closely aligned enough with this particular brand of conservatism. And that would be a reason that Trump would want to put one of these other kinds of conservatives in his place. Right. 
I agree with his point that he would be the one to replace, but only because he's old and you could get like, okay. and he's not a genius and he's his own kind of wingnut where it's just like, yeah. he's, Thomas, he does, yeah. Thomas's little things are really about what went on in Thomas's life. Like he feels bad that he's not really smart enough to be on the Supreme Court. So he's going to personally destroy affirmative action. He's that simple. <laughs> um, and that's it with him. Um, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. So replacing him, you're not really. That, yeah, yeah. You're, it's, it would be like replacing Breyer. You would just get like he, a reliable he, liberal vote. You just get a reliable far right vote. And these other and guys, it, I would never claim that they're geniuses, but they all have their weird little libertarian things, which is probably what Alex is trying to get at. Like we saw um, Gorsuch it, over the summer come out with McGeert, which I loved. <laughs> well, okay. So the point is that like, so Thomas has been on there so long that the type of conservative thought was different and they've really honed what they're doing politically since then. Right. It's gotten more sophisticated. Yes. Sorry. I was saying earlier. So th- yeah. that's the point, I guess. So they want to, they want a newer brand, yeah. which, and they're all Catholic now. Okay. All I get of them it. except for Roberts are some type of like deep seated true believers. The other four are now either religious or weird libertarian true believers. <laughs> um, Same. Okay. Except for Thomas, who is an old-fashioned one who's just like a conservative with personal resentments, who happens to also be extremely Christian, but like Kavanaugh's mm-hmm. a Catholic freak. Gorsuch mm-hmm. and Alito are libertarian freaks. Mm-hmm. And they're farther in some ways than he is just because they're more specific and they're born out of the tea party. Right. Right. Okay. So this uh, hasn't answered any questions I I have, have but I, I, okay. I have a question though. I hear you talking about, um, you know, Catholics having this like bizarre leg up on creating jurisprudence in the United States. But what I'm curious about is why you think that it would make a difference to whether Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned if it were a Christian extremist that's not Catholic. Um, because they have this, this is good, they have this movement that where they have correlated being anti-death penalty and being pro-life as something that it is their duty and right to bring into their judging and the law um, like as a result of their religion. Like There's this little body of thought that they've created where because of their personal faith, they have legitimate permission, I think from God to bring in specifically (laughs) life and death choices. Um, And those are their two. And they're like, as long as we're internally consistent and we make this like our thing, we're allowed to do the will of God through the law. Now, I mean, and like I said, someone else could absolutely pick up on it and do it. I just think that like, there's a level of like being immersed in it that maybe might make that a justice that we, we know going in is immersed in that and has openly said that she is more likely to commit fully to it where someone else might say like, that's a risky move to make in, in this government, which is not supposed to be religious. Whereas we have someone that, yeah. So that, that's kind of like counter to that point that Liz Burning was making that, right. She says that there is a, you know, hostility towards Catholics because of their inability their inability to separate those things, right? The will of God and the law or whatever. But actually mm-hmm. that's what makes them more powerful and more dangerous, if true. Okay, so um still I, I don't feel like I have any conclusive answers on about the problem of ca- the Catholic Supreme Court. Um but I do there's one thing that I wanted to ask that we alluded to earlier, um, that I want to address before we go, which is 
why don't we just try to like make a law or a constitutional <laughs> amendment why don't we try why don't we try to make ah! a constitutional amendment that says abortion's fine what is the what's the basic reason why because everyone always says it's so dumb that we use the courts we should have an amendment that protects this right how come we haven't tried that yet because we did it in tennessee and we lost <laughs> bad I, not really. I mean we were, it was a close race but it was not winnable i want i remember this one time alex and i were at brandon betts's house before that election and i was talking about how i wanted to take it was rent control to the to the state supreme court that was like my dream i was like test case test case i was, I was having a phase and he was like that's <laughs> bullshit like that's like legalist you're being legally and i specifically remember he and i having a shouting fight across the room <laughs> like people were trying to get between us over whether or not we should use the courts i personally am a nerd loser who believes in the courts more and he was like no we should go to the legislation so you're saying that i was i was right that the legislation is like a dead end and we should definitely do test cases only. Uh, absolutely. So here's what happened in Tennessee. Um, it was a constitutional amendment, which had to be during a gubernatorial election, which in Tennessee is um, like the off uh, even years between presidential elections. And so I know for a fact that the, the pro-life movement would make sure that it was a midterm election um, so that voter turnout would be low. Mm -hmm. And then it's so much easier to motivate people who hate abortion to come out and vote against abortion. If, if they get a chance to make it harder to get abortion, they are like frothing at the mouth to do that. So, and it's so much harder to get people who are pro-abortion when abortion is legal to show mm -hmm. out, to vote, um, to, to keep it as legal as it is. Um, it's just so, I mean, I can tell, I can't tell you how many of my own friends did not vote. And I like I worked on this campaign like, um, you know, day in day out for months, and it's just impossible. It's impossible to get people to vote. And we we know that. I mean, we're all right now being inundated every single time we open a single app on our phone with, and I get text messages from agencies that I've never even heard of. And like, how did you get my number? Just begging me to vote. For, um, yeah, for like something, for something that doesn't matter to you, Joe Biden, right? Yeah, like they got it. Uh, right. They got it from the Bernie list. Yeah, yeah, uh, we, yeah. We, we sold your data. For ben, sure. Ben came over to drop off a flash drive, and he was was like, I didn't think I almost missed it because there was a Biden sign in your yard. My, I think my, <laughs> there is a Biden sign in my yard. I think my landlord put it there. Oh my God. Um, shout out to that. Anyways. But, yeah, we, we know that the majority of people in the United States support abortion, mm -hmm. but we don't know that the majority of people in the United States that support abortion would come vote. Mm hmm. This is, a, I, I want to close with this because we're a politics podcast or whatever. And I think Alex and I were having this discussion in one of the group chats because Alex was like, you know, the reason Alex had said something kind of casually where he's like, the reason that they do the abortion thing is because it's popular, but it's not true, right? Um, it's unpo opposing abortion is unpopular, right? No matter what you look at it. And the only, even if you look at like education, 
Um, I feel like, I think age is the only thing where like older people are more pronouncedly, age and religion, of course, are the only things where like people are more likely to oppose abortion. For the most part, everyone, like no matter, it's not a class thing, right? Every, it's not like more educated people like love abortion or something. Like literally just like everyone just slightly above the majority, like pretty much everyone wants abortion to be mostly legal, right? Um, so it's not at all a populist thing. It's a, a matter of power and turnout, right? Which Absolutely. should prove to you that's where capital is, right? Yeah, and they're going to pay to make sure. It would be so easy for capital to buy that referendum. So easy. Yeah, yeah. How should we close this? Do we have any bets to make or anything? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, how, long, how long do we give it? How, do, how long do we give? How long do we give it? Did we ever do like a a, a, a RBG dying vote? Did any of us do like a, a bet on that? Let's do let's do a Roe v. Wade dying <laughs> bet. What do we got? Oh, this makes me sick. Um, sorry, yeah. I'm I'm sorry to be perverse and always make us do the most like tasteless bets of all time. I think something I think... will come up like this year where they're gonna take it. Mm-hmm. Or they're either they're going to deny certification to something that would have let them completely destroy it, or they're going to take something and make a decision that reads reads okay, but has mm-hmm. like a secret seed of evil in it. And then they're going to take like two to three more years, and then a solid win. Here's what I, I see happening in Tennessee: our abortion. Our newest abortion ban was written in this way that it bans abortion at every week interval. So it there's all of these clauses that's like six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks, nine weeks. And so and this is new. And I think that they wrote it that way intentionally because they expect there to be a decision handed down because there's a, so many cases working their ways up into the federal courts that could be taken up by the Supreme Court at any moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that what they are expecting is a decision that looks kind of like, okay, states can decide um, after this certain gestational age to ban abortion. Mm -hmm. And they can't figure out, they don't know when, so they're covering all of their bases. Mm And so that that is definitely what I expect because it's what they expect. And I think that it will happened in 2021 for sure so yeah here's my closing question do you think there's like um some sort of bunker somewhere where like really wealthy right right really wealthy think tank catholics are like betting also on this do you think think there's like a um, an underground industry of like assessment like um, yeah, so it's and, called the Vatican. Like, yeah, okay, all right. Yeah. Someone out it's there like... ha- It's definitely pro- there there are for sure like conservatives out there betting on this also. So Yeah, it's like Jack right. Donaghy and the Pope in a room <laughs> drinking old fashions together. Uh, all right, y'all. It is now twelve twenty six AM on October second. And oh, can I plug map? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the last thing on my notes was um, we were going to give you some information about how to get an abortion. Right? Is that what you said? <laughs> what? Wait, what, what did you say you were plugging? I thought you... I'm, 
Um, okay, I, I work, well, I don't, I volunteer uh, for an organization called Mountain Access Brigade. We help, we uh, operate a secure encrypted support line um, that you can call or text um, to get abortion doula services. So we help people talk through their options, talk through their feelings, um, plan uh, logistics. And then we're also the only operating abortion fund in Tennessee, um, other than, you know, national and regional um, funds. So uh, check us out online. Um, we do really, really important work that nobody else is doing. I should have come prepared with like a Michigan-based resource, but I usually just like point pe- point people to uh, abortion f- funds, I guess. Yeah, Mid- Midwest Access Coalition is a good one. Cool. Um, I don't All know right. if they. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, so we we good. That's good enough for me. Um. Ben, can you um tell me all the stuff that you normally say at the end of an episode? Uh, you first of all, okay, so subscribe to Ben's Patreon. Please give him one dollar per month. <laughs> it's uh okay. So usually I uh, end by saying, uh, subscribe to our show. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever platform you listen to podcasts on, mm-hmm. uh, you can f- find us on Facebook at State of the Revolution. You can follow mm-hmm. us on Twitter at SOTRPod. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can email us at SOTRPod at gmail.com. And if you want to give us your money, then you can do that at uh, patreon.com slash Michigan Progressive. Mm-hmm. Please, please give Ben $1 per month like I do. Also, and... uh, we're probably going to be, I imagine we're going to be live streaming again on uh, this coming Sunday. Uh, 8 o'clock p.m. at uh, twitch.tv slash state of the revolution. Um, okay, what else? Uh, please, please tell Ben if you liked this episode to bring more than one woman on at a time in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Is that, is that it? Anything else? I think that's about it. Okay, bye everybody. Sometimes, no, I'ma have abortions always. Get that fetus, kill that fetus.